0: Hello and welcome to the Dragon's Inn, where we talk about witchcraft, the metaphysical, and folklore. So come on in, have a cup of tea, get comfortable, and stay for a spell. Hello my dear listeners and welcome. Welcome back to the Dragon's Inn. Well, things have looked up a bit for me from the last episode, and since Mercury resumed direct, things have gotten less tense. It was a little bit odd because I saw several posts about people in general feeling more grumpy and angry, yours truly included. Though, my partner said in February, I tend to have things go wrong and they make me a grumpy dragon in February. <laughs> It seemed, though, like some people were completely unaffected by the retrograde, while others were getting their spiritual butts handed to them. I don't know about the weather by you, but I'm sure the cold and snow we had over the past couple of weeks sure as heck didn't help. But it was pretty nice um, the past couple of days here. Like I said, though, happily, things feel easier and seem much better, and generally easier. Though, oddly, Tuesdays still seem to give me some trouble. I certainly hope you came through the last Mercury retrograde happy and well, and know that if you had odd, aggressive feelings or anger out of nowhere, then you are definitely not alone. So I usually browse for articles of the strange and the paranormal from my friend Bob of Bob After Dark. I found an interesting one that I thought I'd share here. A uh, uh, I. Uh, I'll share it on the page as well, the Dragons in Facebook page. But apparently, Internet occultists are trying to change reality with a magical algorithm. So, according to this article by Tamlin McGee, the sigil engine adapts an ancient practice for the Internet age, creating mystic symbols that true believers say can bend the universe to their will. Symbols can carry an undeniable power, whether it's the Ankh, the Crucifix, or the Golden Arches of McDonald's. I'm loving it. (laughs) For thousands of years, runes, glyphs, and icons have been used in occult rituals and spiritual practices to mess with reality. Today, drawings imbued with the desires of their creators, called sigils, are undergoing a resurgence. Which, um, this is true, I even have an interest myself in uh, learning to draw sigils. Advocates insist they really work, and a new app called the Sigil Engine automates the whole process, aiming to make inventing reality even more accessible. A sigil, as you may or may not know, is a symbol used for magical practice, typically created from scratch by the practitioner and imbued with psychic energy to influence events. That's magic with a K. To differentiate these rites from pulling rabbits out of hats. Just, just so you know. Aspiring sigil creators could already tap into a wealth of resources to learn how to draw their own magical signs, from online libraries to how-to guides on TikTok or influential chaos magic texts like Liber Null and Condensed Chaos. The sigil creation process usually goes like this. Write down whatever you want to achieve, remove any vowels and repeating letters, and then position the remaining letters into a pleasing arrangement. Finally, you've got to quote-unquote charge your creation. Methods for this vary, but you could meditate, sing at, or most commonly... Uh, I'm not reading that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's adult, so I'm not reading that to you. Uh, before finally destroying or forgetting all about it and awaiting the results. Skeptics, of course, might balk at the idea of drawing our own realities, but others may also find themselves surprised at the results, which believers say work best when they're within the boundaries of your day-to-day life. There's no point in charging a sigil to win the lottery if you don't buy a ticket, chaos magician and comic book writer Grant Morrison once wrote. To test out sigils... Morrison famously modeled a character after themselves in The Invisibles, and began to see cruel events inflicted on the fictional figure, such as burst lungs actually transpire in real life. Um, They decided to be kinder to the character after that. Now, according to this, uh, users of the Sigil engine, though, rely on code to do much of the legwork. When visitors land on the URL, they're greeted by a sparkling black background and a prompt to type their intention. Doing so will set the engine in motion, drawing the sign in bright red. Co-creator Darag Mason, who hosts the Spirit Box podcast, describes this flourish as a prayer or a moment of reverence to the goddess Babylon, found within the thelemic system first synthesized by British occultist Alister Crowley. The backdrop alludes to the great expansive void from which all things spring. We wanted to create something that actually felt magical when you used it, Mason told Motherboard. For a lot of people, in their magical practice, the aesthetic helps give it more potency, so we were very conscious. We wanted to have the process of creating a sigil, removing the vowels, removing repeating letters, creating the actual symbol itself, to be experiential. I think it means experimental. Something that you grew in and gave it a sense of wonder. Maybe inexperience. To ensure the final sigil is almost guaranteed to be unique, the application logs the speed of typing, the time between keystrokes, and compares these to the entirety of the Liber Cheth Valum Beigny. Ooh, that's a mouthful. A thalamic text that is contained within the code. The measurements are combined to return a unique value for each of the base characters, says co creator David Tidman. More number crunching normalizes a very large figure between 0.0 and 1.0, which is finally used to position each character on a point around the circle. For example, a character with a value of between 0.51 and 0.54 would be located at the 11th of 21 points in total. At the moment, whatever the user types is stored temporarily and then deleted, but Tidman says in future this information won't be stored at all and that there are no personal identifiers logged with when uh, visitors type their intentions. The final illustration generated by the sigil engine is placed within a circle, a nod, its creators say, to the Goetic Seals of Demons in the Lesser Key of Solomon and Medieval Grimoire, or Magical Book, from the mid-17th century that more recently made an appearance in Ari Aster's Hereditary. Released in late 2020, the sigil engine has now been used more than 300,000 times with people typing their magical intentions spread across seven continents. According to the creators, at least some of the... Engine's users say it works, with success stories covering everything from home renovations to fertility, and even those who have made automated sigil production part of their daily routine. It was important for both Mason and Tidman to have the aesthetic drive, the application, and keep the whole process feeling experiential, magical, and accessible. We wanted the input of the intention to feel like part of the app, so we created our own keyboard component from scratch. Instead, each key touch pulses red with the key component slightly transparent so particles show through, which really connects the keyboard to the app itself, Tidman said, or to Motherboard. The sigil engine was first conceived as a vast uh, participatory art project, but the sheer amount of interest has made their original idea to project the sigils one after the other in a public place impossible. For Mason, though, the purpose of creating the sigil engine was not only to build an experiential, useful tool, but to better understand whether magic could be made to work within a digital context. Uh, so the article does go on a bit, but, uh, I'll save you guys a little bit of time here and, uh, I will, uh, add the link to this article, uh, to the page when this episode comes out. I just thought it was very interesting to bring magic more into the modern digital age. And I'll talk about that a little bit later when we get to our topic of the week, but, um, I kind of think it's about high time we did it, right? <laughs> I just, uh, found that one, ar- that, that one article really interesting and I thought that you may too. So, uh, now, on to the mineral of the week. And this week's mineral is Johansenite. Johansenite crystallizes in the monoclinic system as masses Columnar configurations consisting of matted, radiating, or or spherulic aggregations, or prisms, or fibers, and rarely as prismatic crystals. The color range includes vitreous brown, gray to green, colorless, and blue. It is often black on the surface due to the MN oxidation. The mineral was first described by W.T. Schaller in 1932 and was named for Albert Johansson, an American geologist and petrologist. The chemical composition is C-A-M-N-S-I-2-O-6, hardness 6, specimen locality, Broken Hill, uh, NSW, Australia. Now... Johansonite has been used to assist one in employing both self-esteem and self-respect in an unprejudiced manner. Now, once again, this mineral was picked completely at random, and it relates to the subject of the show, and I just... <laughs> it's got to be more than a coincidence. So, it, uh, it provides both modesty and tribute for the exceptional presentation of the intellect. It further allows one to understand that any and all effectiveness of any ag- antagonistic force is actually less than the effectiveness within the self which may be used to combat that force. Johansenite is a powerful stone for locating, for movement, and for ameliorating the disruption of energy within the body and within the emotional structure. It has been used successfully in both the removal of energy, blockages, and in realigning the energy channels, to their proper locations. It can be used to activate and to clear both the base and the heart chakras and to provide claiming action during stressful activities involved with change. Johanssonite can be used to stimulate the loving feelings of one's essence and can provide assistance in survival techniques on all levels. It enhances emotional learning and couples the practical side of one's nature to both the emotions and the instincts such that one's rationality is in place above all. Also assisting one to perceive the duality within the self, it further stimulates the regaining of the delicate side of nature, being a good stone for healing those who will not allow themselves to manifest sorrow. The energy of the mineral can allow one to both mentally and emotionally detach oneself from a situation while remaining physically present. It provides a stand-in ability, which allows intellectual or emotional discussions to continue while the user connects and enjoys the meditative state, truly wonderful for augmentative encounters. It can also provide for the fortitude necessary for one to withdraw from any endangering or impairing physical and or emotional situation. It acts to bring an awareness when one may be hurt, such that one can be out of that space very quickly. Man, this stone is, is just increasingly, increasingly uh, related to this week's subject. This is just spooky. <laughs> It is favorable to the dream state and stimulates the state of awareness bringing lucidity during dream time, hence enriching the dream state and further providing access to the angelic realm. Johansenite has been used in the study and comprehension of European languages, assisting one in understanding the communication of same by others and facilitating an ease in learning to communicate in the other language it further symbolizes the powers of communication and interpretation It can also provide insight to allow one to recognize and to accept the multi-dimensionality of one's nature inciting one towards self-assessment originality self-realization and self restoration it has been used to provide for an increase in strength to all parts of the body to increase muscular structure to treat physical weakness fatigue, and psychological disorders to dispel pain and to eliminate the cause and the symptoms of migraine headaches, It is also being used to calm pets placed proximate to their sleeping locality. Johanssonite vibrates to the number eight. So we will get down to this week's subject right after a quick message from a podcast that you should be listening to. Oh, hey there, Count Panic. I got a question for you. What's that, Bob? What do you know about Mothman, the Loch Ness Monster, ghosts, demons, and things that go bump in the night? Not much, Bob. Well, lucky for you, we host a podcast called Bob After Dark, where we talk about legends, lore, and the supernatural. Wow, where can I find this podcast? Wherever you find your great podcasts at. And welcome back. I apologize if you heard uh, meowing in the background. My uh, girlfriend's cat decided she wants to be where I am recording this, and I don't exactly have a sound studio yet. <laughs> but anyway, how was your break? Mine was lovely. I basked in the warm afternoon sun. Which actually, tomorrow, it's uh, this weekend, it's supposed to be really nice out, so I'm hoping to get my truck fixed up. Uh, I found there's just a slight leak with the water pump, so I'm going to fix it myself, because I can, and I'm hoping I can get that done expediently so I can take one of the motorcycles out hopefully my charity motorcycle so I did have a bit of trouble figuring out what this week's subject should be and it really was staring me in the face the past week or two I have read quite a few posts from fellow witches about being ostracized from friends family and lovers simply for being who they are it got me to thinking about how many times I have heard or seen or experienced it myself Back when I was a late teen, I was living with one of my grandmothers. She was not a devout, weakly churchgoer, but she did count herself as Christian. She was one of the kindest and most selfless beings I have ever known, and while leery of my practice, not so much fearful as cautious, she never chastised, rejected, or neglected me in any way. I count myself as so lucky because of this. We had some relatives or friends of hers visit, it was a woman and her two kids. As, as things so sadly do, religion came up in conversation, and this woman and her children were a bit too proud of their Christianity, which there's nothing wrong with being your religion, but, you know, or having your religion, or, or believing in what you believe in, or being who you are, or just when you start to beat people over the head with it, <laughs> it, it gets taxing. Um, when I mentioned this, her daughter, who was about 10, I believe, asked what I was. I simply replied, I was pagan. This girl then replied, and trigger warning for a word here, go ahead and skip ahead a few seconds. But this girl replied, well, you're retarded. Now, mind you. I was much more hot-blooded in those days, and while I don't remember my exact response, I do remember that it was not diplomatic, and I did invite them to leave, (laughs) post-haste. Again, uh, compared to others, I count myself as lucky, because my experiences like this have been few. It's been odd, because I have had a lot of Christian people come up to me and start talking about God, or or trying to convert me, or anything like that, but it's never been... Obnoxious. It's never really been tiresome. It's never, it's never the, oh my god, if you don't follow this, you're going to hell. It's just, hey, you know, hey, come and, come and join us. So it always has been very welcoming. And I suppose some may say, well, you know, that maybe that's a sign, but I feel as though I have found my path. I don't, uh, you know, I don't talk to my parents very much, but uh, one time I mentioned doing a good luck spell around Halloween. And my mother said something along the lines of wishing I didn't do, quote, that stuff, end quote, anymore. Uh, then she asked me, you want to see your grandmothers again, don't you? And I just simply said, I will. And enough of a tone of finality to get her to drop the issue. Again, I've been very lucky. I pretty much grew up pagan. I, have you know, my mentor was my grandmother, and of course she was very accepting, and my other grandmother was also very, very loving and accepting. So I'm lucky, but some of the stories I've read from others are are far, far worse. Um, I read one where it was two people together for you know several years, uh, breaking up after one told the other that they practiced. Another was a complete black sheep of their family because they were just interested in in witchcraft. I've read still more and, and still worse, though I have read and been told better as well, so don't get too discouraged. One friend said they came out of the broom closet to their mother, and she inquired of this friend two things. If they sacrificed animals, and if they were still a good person. This friend was, of course, raised Christian, which, uh, and, and moved to paganism, which, in my experience, a lot of people I've talked to seems to be the case. I've often given hints for ways to practice and do the craft in secret without notice. In fact, I think I've done that in almost every episode. I believe that more than me have been seeing these stories, as this week I shared from another page a whole bunch of ways to practice in secret, including how to build a discreet altar. But in case you missed that, here's the list of ways to practice uh, from Heart of a Witch, Soul of an Empath. They write, for our discreet witches in the broom closet. If you're a closet witch, perhaps you have a roommate who would be appalled at the idea of magic or paganism. Maybe you live on your own, but your strict Christian family often visits without warning, and you know they would have questions if they saw an altar in your house. You may live in a dormitory or apartment complex, and the close quarters make it difficult to do anything without the rest of the building knowing. Whatever your situation, you want to be a practicing witch, but the circumstances make it difficult. Here are some tips and tricks to help out. What to do about a book of shadows or a grimoire. You don't have to draw pentacles all over the cover. You can just buy a plain journal and use that to record any spells or rituals that interest you. If you were worried about someone snooping, though, you could make an electronic book of shadows or grimoire. Again, with the technological age, uh, as I said earlier, with the sigil creation, Google Drive is a fantastic thing because it connects all of your Google devices, and I'm sure there's an Apple equivalent or a Linux equivalent, but it's an app that you could make a pass- You could, If you have a tablet, you could make it password-protected, and you could write your spells in that. And as a matter of fact, uh, I sure there are apps like Notetaker or something like that where you can write it down by hand which would allow you to make sigils, draw any designs or patterns as well as put your spells in the book. So what about an altar? It is absolutely possible to have an altar and still be a closet witch. For one thing it doesn't have to be obviously witchy things all over it. You might be able to play it off as just decoration Again, remember when I said, well, you're just burning this color or that color candle? Um, my altar is actually held within a cedar chest, and when the chest is closed and all my items are inside, it's completely, anybody could come in here and they could sit on it and not realize there's, you know, my witchcraft items were all underneath it. It's a witch chest or wizard chest, whatever you want to call it. If you want more obvious things on your altar, though, like a pinnacle or statues of your deities, consider a shoebox altar. Just a plain shoebox and fill it with everything you want on your altar when you're working or praying. Take out everything in the shoebox, put it back, and stash the altar in your closet or under your bed when you're done. Again, like I said, mine is actually contained within a cedar chest. It was an, It's an heirloom. It was given to me by my witch mentor upon her passing. I have a small wooden, uh, if you look in the pictures uh, on the Dragon Inn of my altar, you can see it's in a cedar chest and there's like a small wooden stand in there. It's just like a little end table that I picked up, I think, through like a free cycle website. That's my altar. Uh, I put items on it and I take the items off and I close the chest up and nobody, absolutely nobody, is any the wiser other than my partner And that's because she knows I practice. So, how do you have tools as a closet witch? This one is a bit difficult. The best thing to do is tone down the tools a bit. You don't need to buy a large, fancy boline. when you can just use a kitchen knife. There's no need for a wand. Use your index finger, or use your hands, or use your breath, like I talked about in the last episode. Instead of a chalice, just use a small cup or bowl. If you do get fancy, obvious tools, you can stash it in your shoebox altar if it's small enough. You can also pretend it's a Halloween decoration, and if it's something stereotypically witchy, like a besom or cauldron. There are ways around this. (laughs) And honestly, um, I don't know about you, but uh, in a later episode, I'll talk about wands and stuff, but wands really can be anything. Some people use um stones for wands some people use uh you know trees parts of wood they can be fancily carved they can be this they can be that but they can also just be this neat stick i found in the woods (laughs) so now what about casting spells this one definitely gets tricky especially if you follow a tradition that uses many tools and loud incantations There again, channeling is an absolutely fantastic substitute because you don't have to have verbal semantics involved and you can do it just about anywhere. If you're just kind of sitting there playing with your energy ball, nobody's really going to notice. But it helps try to cast, it helps to try to cast spells when nobody is home or if possible where you live outside where no one can see you. Go out to the woods, go out to a trail, go out to a lake. For the most part, if anybody comes by, they're not going to bother you. They're not going to care. If all else fails, use this time to research. Find as much information about the religion you're interested in and magic as you can. That way, when you're able to practice, you'll be more than ready. One of the things my witch mentor taught me, and this is a good one for for you in, in the broom closet, is instead of casting a circle with salt and especially if you practice in a carpeted room, which I do, <laughs> you can use carpet refresher powder. It's white, it smells lovely, and it freshens the carpet. You barely notice it even if you cast it in a heavy circle, and then you can just vacuum it right up. And nobody is going to really realize what you're doing. Now, if you're handy, like me, You can take up a threshold and sprinkle your red brick dust or salt and then put the threshold back. It's still just as effective. Now it's just hidden, which, in my mind, I would think would be kind of handier for any sort of dark, evil, or, you know, nasty things trying to get into your home, because now it's a hidden trap. It's going to force them out uh, via surprise. Now, of course, cleansing. That's a hard one. If you can do it when you're home alone, fantastic. Um, if if you want to burn something like sage, different smelling incense and scented candles can help cover up the smell. But uh, rather than burning sage to cleanse your home, you can make a cleansing spray with natural ingredients, then add it to your cleaning routine. Uh, I believe my partner shared one with me a couple of weeks ago. It had... I wanna, I wanna say, I'll have to look for the article, but I wanna say it had some sage, some lavender, and just the actual plants, a little bit of vinegar, and water. I'll, I'll look for the actual recipe and share it on the Dragon's Inn page. But you mix it all together, and it actually was a cleaning product. So it was not only a spiritual cleaning product, it was a physical cleaning product. So, there are, there are still more ways to practice while in the broom closet, you can stir, you know, once you've figured out how to make your sigil, one that you want for protection, health, anything, stir that into your food and your coffee. Draw one with your makeup base as you apply your makeup in the morning and then just blend it in. Depending on your crafting skills, you can engrave or draw, you can get one of those pendant trays that I mentioned during the episode where I talked about the organite. You can draw a pentacle in the tray in the bottom. Then bury it with the stones and metal and seal it with epoxy as you make an organite pendant. Then, Hey, what's that you're wearing? Well, it's just my good luck charm. And you can, you can do sigils or the pinnacle in it, or you can, and you can charge it with your intent and use different ingredients. Get creative with it. You can paint a symbol of protection under the lining of your shoes. So underneath the insoles, um, to protect your steps, or to put one in the inside of your COVID face covering, which you can use to mutter curses quietly. (laughs) I think it really sad that in this day and age of being more accepting that so many witches feel the need, or are in fact proven to have the need to hide. We have had to hide for centuries due to ignorance, misunderstanding, and control. And I personally think, warning, it's bullshit. I wanted to do this episode to reinforce to you, dear listeners, that you are not alone and more people will accept you than you realize. Come to think of it, I shared an article a while back that witches outnumber Presbyterians in the U.S. now, Wicca paganism growing astronomically. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't quite remember, that number was the witches that we know about, like me. But of course, there's no exact census for it. So as I have said before, I was very lucky to be raised pagan, and have had few negative experiences. My partner was accepting and receptive to my practices immediately, and I opened up to her and, and talked to her about it. Hey, this is something I do. I did it early in the relationship. To you, if you're with your partner for a long time, and then you come, cl- come quote-unquote, let me put that, quote-unquote, come clean... That there, that you are, it's probably better to pull that band aid off sooner rather than later. Because, you know, after it's a, more of a long term relationship, you gotta figure there's gonna be so, there's gonna be very, very hard emotional attachment. But, uh, like I said, my partner was open and receptive, which I sometimes joke with her that she, she should be thankful and she better believe in it as it was my practice that brought us together. <laughs> So as I've said before, I accept you for you. I'm your witch dad now. Drink some water, get some rest, and if someone is making you feel unsafe because of your beliefs, unwanted or unloved due to their toxic behavior or mistreatment of you, it's okay to not have them in your life. If they make you feel truly unsafe, I want you to please seek help. They're not worthy of you, you beautiful witch you. One, one final note, one final thought is um, if you want to come out to your partner or your family and you're not quite sure, obviously, if they're super, super religious um, in one of the religions that looks down on witchcraft, tread lightly. I don't I, I want you to feel wanted, loved, and accepted. Uh, that's something everybody deserves. But I don't want you to put yourself in an uncomfortable position or in harm's way. But one of the things you could potentially do is just mention in passing, Hey, you know, I heard about, I read, came across an article about people practicing witchcraft, this or that. It's okay to dip your toe in. You don't have to jump right into the water because it could be boiling. But... So little little subtle things like that and kind of see if you can get their reaction. You say, oh, well, you know, no, no, that's nothing. Okay, well, what if I were to practice that? Or if they say, oh, my God, everybody who does anything like that, they're going to hell and they're evil and they're the worst kind of person, they might not be the best person to come out of the broom closet to. <laughs> so, again, if somebody puts, if if your beliefs, your practices, somebody really threatens you or anything like that, don't let them gaslight you into thinking that their way is the only way because it's not. And don't let them abuse you in order to keep you under their thumb. Please seek help. You're not alone. There are others like you out there and there are people willing to help. I dearly and truly hope that this episode has been helpful and encouraging to you, even if only to let you know that you're not alone Many of us are out, but still many, many more hide in the broom closet. If you'd like to share your broom closet story, or coming out story, or you have suggestions for ways for other witches to practice in secret, then please, PM the Dragons Inn on Facebook, or email the Dragons Inn Podcast at gmail.com. Your messages will be kept strictly confidential unless you want to be mentioned. I'm Ryujin, and next week we'll be talking about the spring holiday, Ostara. From my family at the end to yours, be safe, be happy, be yourself, and Merry Matt. Thanks for listening. Remember, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Whether you practice daily, monthly, yearly, or are still in the broom closet, you matter, Which? Thanks for listening.